0: Sure. So I guess the first thing we wanted to know was just what your time at Oberlin was like and what you were involved in while you were here.
1: Oh, um, my time at Oberlin, I, my time, I was a very unremarkable student, and I think my time was pretty unremarkable. I, uh, I hung out, I lived in tank, drank beer and ate pizza. <laughs> I went to the disco a lot. And then I graduated. I was a political science major which I don't even know why. I think I thought I wanted to be in politics, but then I actually don't like politics. I I think I wanted to like make the world run better, but I thought like the world ran the way it did because people just didn't know better. <laughs> but of course, that's not the reason the world runs the way it runs. <laughs> Once I realized that like to make the world run better, I had to go and knock on doors, <laughs> door to door and knock and talk to people that I was scared of. And um, I was very shy, so I didn't like that idea. I ended up reading a lot of like political philosophers, but not really. That didn't feel like they really applied to much of what was going on in the world. And I think the whole time I was there, I think really what I wanted to be was a was a journalist, and I just didn't really fully know that exactly. And I think somehow I'd gotten into my head that, that well, I, I could never do that. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that. I, I, I just found myself. I thought of myself as not very talented, so don't think I was. I, I applied for a show at WOBC, and I didn't get it. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, really? Yeah, I got rejected. What was your proposal? I proposition? Mean, it was like so stupid. I, I did it like I, I should have been rejected. It was like so I, I like we just like my friend was like, Let's get a show on the radio and I was like, Villa. and then we filled out an application we totally they half asked it and we spelled every name. <laughs> we said we were gonna like focus on a genre that I knew nothing about and we spelled the names of all the artists in the genre all wrong. <laughs> and it was like obviously like they shouldn't <laughs> take our it was like <laughs> except um eating dinner.
2: <laughs> uh, I was
1: always the last one in the, in the dining hall <laughs> and I really liked friends that I had here and I told myself when I was here that I studied pretty hard you know and I did I tried I, I got fine grades um, and I told myself while I was here that I was like working just as hard as I would when I got outside and got an actual job. And then I, then I graduated and I got a job. And my first job was like as a social service worker. They studied Russian. So that was the other thing I did. I, I studied Russian and I thought I would like learn Russian because it was the Cold War and I wanted to build bridges of peace with the Soviet Union. And Ronald Reagan was the president of the Soviet Union, the evil empire. And I was like, you're wrong, Mr. Reagan. They're not evil. They're people just like you and me. And I'm going to prove it by learning that language and going and talking to them. So... That's what I did. I, I mean, that's what I tried to do. So I stood and I looked in the course catalog, and it was Russian 1, Russian 2, Russian 3, and then that was it. And I thought, well, okay, by the time you get to Russian 3, you'll know Russian, right? And so started in freshman year, and then the sophomore year came along, and I was like, this isn't going very quickly, because by soft, middle sophomore year, I could still couldn't really even say my name. I right? <laughs> didn't know all the letters of the alphabet. <laughs> you know, it was like, it's a really hard language to learn. And then by Russian 3, I was late into Russian 3, I was like, I still couldn't say one single sentence in Russian. Or I could say a sentence, but it was just like, I I was not, there was nothing close to being like even conversant, let alone fluent in it. Um, And I was like, wait a minute. And so then I was like, oh yeah, you have to go to the language. You have to go to the country to learn the language. So I went to Russia and I spent a year in Russia when I was still part of the Soviet Union. And that was a pretty big, that was a pretty big eye-opening experience for me. And so then after I graduated, I got a, speaking russian was my one marketable skill which and uh but i did get a job as a not at a not-for-profit that was helping russian refugees get settled in chicago and that was my mm-hmm. first professional job and i wore a suit and tie to work and i had a little office and i would go up and i would show up and i would help the russian refugees work on their resumes and sort of give, help them decipher the news because like getting a job is a brand new concept like in
3: russian mm-hmm. you grow up
1: and you get assigned a job and So, like, they just didn't understand the system at all. And the first day of that job, I showed up, and I had to be there at 9, and I was like, okay, And I got myself to work by 9, and then I was, like, working, and I was like, and I kept looking at the clock, and I was like, oh, my God, it's only 11, oh, my God, it's only 12, and then finally it was, like, 5, and I was like, oh, my God, and then I went home, and I felt immediately asleep and I slept I fell asleep at like five thirty and slept until the next morning and I was like I have to do this every day for the rest of my life. It was crazy. But then you get used to it and it's fine. Sounds <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> It's gonna be really fun. Yeah,
0: so much to look forward to.
1: <laughs> well, I guess the message being enjoy it while you can. <laughs> um, no, but then it's like it's just like running a marathon. You just like and then you build up your endurance and it's totally fine. And then like now I can I can work I can work many hours a day and it's totally fine. But it uh, it, it really was like a shock. It was like the first time you're like oh right you have to work you just have to stay you can't just show up at the library and then go home and then play basketball and then show up at the library again. Yeah, it's like all different things. So,
3: I'm always interested when journalists say that they were shy or that they are shy. And it seems like quite a lot of them Mm -hmm. are. And it has to, it's something, I think I remember, you know, listening to the first seasons of Startup and like, sort of, I think I had this perception that you were kind of playing it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But hearing you say like, oh, no, I just grew up shy. Like, what was the transition between being a shy person and doing this thing that you really, like? you have to put yourself out there in this really moment?
1: yeah i don't know i think it is it's something that definitely like i i know a lot of journalists feel this way like they're just like they're really they are shy and i think it's like i remember like i i had a friend who went to brown and he was uh, he was on the school paper at brown and i remember i was like spending like i i was i spent the summer there or something and he was like still doing some sort of paper related thing and i remember i was like how do you just like call people up and he's like what do you mean and i was like how do you get on the phone? He was like, you just get on the phone? I was like, can I watch you do it? And he was like, can you watch me call somebody on the phone? I was like, yes. And so he literally, like, he was like, he had to make a call for recording. And I literally just like watched how he did it. Cause I was like, I couldn't believe that you could just do that. I don't know. I think I was like, I was always interested in people. I think it comes from being sort of confused by people. Um, maybe, which is like what makes people shy. You don't understand. Mm-hmm what you're supposed to say or what they're saying or why um and so i think journalism is partly a project of trying to understand people um and it's only a project that appeals to <laughs> those of us who don't understand people that well <laughs> and so <laughs> if you're like really good with people you're just like i don't need an article to tell me about this i, just, I understand it but like for us I need like, i need a lot of research <laughs> and like edits and stuff and i'm mm-hmm. like oh that's why you did that mm-hmm.
3: okay had you considered other journalistic mediums before you sort of fell into radio?
1: Oh, yeah. Testing? Yeah, no, I was, I was like, I mean, the one, the, the thing that, the, the, when I was in college, like, the thing that I was most taken by and that I loved, there was this, like, real, I think a real sort of renaissance golden age of magazine writing. Like, that was around the time that, like... Um, there's a New Yorker, there's this Harper's magazine was really just like, it was just so good. And there were so many super interesting people there. And all these people that are sort of like now sort of famous, like Michael Pollan, who's written all those books and like has gone on to become like a big famous public intellectual. He was like an editor at Harper's at that time. And um, Paul Tuff, who has also written a bunch of books now about education and stuff. He's a less well-known, but he was also like a big, um, they were all sort of like centered there. Um, And then and they were publishing really interesting stuff. And, you know, there's other ones that like the Atlantic and like, you know, like a lot of the, the the men's magazines were sort of like, there was like, you know, GQ and Esquire were sort of writing interesting stuff as well. So there's was just like a bunch of, there was a bunch of like journalism that I was super interested in. Um, and so I think that was my first love. And, I, mm-hmm. and the New Yorker, of course, I like, I, I would like devour these like super, super long New Yorker articles that now. I, people would always say like, I remember this like familiar lament at that time when I graduated, which was sort of like people complaining about uh, not being able to keep up with the New Yorker, like the New Yorker would come too often. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I don't know. I read it yeah. cover to cover the minute it comes. Like, <laughs> that's what I would do. You know? And I would just, I was like, well, obviously you would like, why wouldn't you do that? So I was really into that. Yeah. I was really into like narrative nonfiction for, but, and yet in no part of my brain did I ever see myself as like being, able of doing that like to me which i don't understand it's so interesting to me like i don't know why like i'm like how could an upper middle class jewish kid ever make it in the world of magazine journals like, i don't know why i thought that would be like it's, i don't know why that seems so crazy to me or something i don't know it was really i don't know it's just it, it, but it did it just felt like uh it felt like it was just like so far 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 beyond my reach
3: you know shyness comes humility. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, that really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Like showing like that is so far away, and especially the phone call thing. Like I feel like my freshman year was me learning how to call, to call people.
1: Yeah, to well, see, you learned it way before I did. It took me another decade. I didn't know how to do it for like I was like you're you're
3: year, ten years ahead of. Did you have a moment when you switched from feeling like like not really considering journalism to like like how did you get? to yes. This American life, and then money. Like, <laughs> any, like um, what happened? <laughs> uh,
1: my longtime girlfriend broke up with me, and I was really devastated. And I and then she was going to go to film school, and I was like, "Oh my god, she's going to go to film school she was <laughs> and get famous. Going to be like left behind and devastated." That's honestly what happened. I was just like, and it just made me reassess my whole life. Like, I was like, I felt like been playing it safe my entire life and trying and hoping that like i wouldn't have pain because of that and i was in intense pain more pain than i would ever been in you know mm-hmm. and um and it and i was and i was like well this and it was a big reassessment of like oh i guess playing it safe doesn't keep you safe so i might as well just try for what i actually want and so then um so then i went and applied to, Tried for what I wanted, and started applying for things, and not getting them, and then applying for them again, and, until I got them. Um, and I eventually got a. a um, I eventually got a uh, internship at Harper's. Um, I was a teacher by this point, and so I had a. The uh, internships at Harper's were free, so you didn't make any money, and you had to live in New York City. Um, and so, yeah. and like <laughs> that's money. a great. That's a great trick, huh? And. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but because, um, of both the aforementioned Jewish kid and also the fact that I was a, uh, um, teacher and I got paid through the summer, those two yeah. factors. So like my, my parents were like willing to like, not even they gave me money, but they were willing to like, if I, I knew if I, I knew they wouldn't let me starve. <laughs> and so, and, uh, and I knew I had the safety of running up a little bit of a credit card bill. They were there to bail me out if I needed to. And um, and I was able to get like a little bit of salary. I was able to do the internship. Um, and so I did that for the summer. Um, and then that sort of like taught me a lot about like how to be a journalist and what people are looking for and how to how to tell stories. Cause as an intern at Harper's, all you do is you just read unsolicited
3: submissions. That's
1: your entire job. Um, and so I just learned it was really valuable because it taught me all of the cliches that existed in the world of magazines at that time and all of the ones that I was like wanted to do too you know, I want to write an article I want to write a definitive article about the world of transport or whatever, you know, like it was like these big big pieces about like, you know um uh but uh um, so I uh so I, and I just realized like there are these that was the helpful thing. It's like, oh I see. Okay, is so what you need to really you really need to have like some you have to have something there's there, chances are you've thought of if you if you're just thinking of it as the first thing you've thought of, it chances are other people have thought of it too. And so like you have to just go beyond the first
3: thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's a uh, lot of reading. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot of reading. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think also speaking of playing it safe and especially being someone who's really shy, I think what's really remarkable about a lot of the pieces that you've worked on um, from This American Life and then also all of Startup and a lot of the shows on Gimlet is that they're really vulnerable in this very authentic mm-hmm. way where you're really opening up to your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get used to doing that and how do you do that well um, in in a medium that requires you to be so vulnerable um, oftentimes about,
1: you know, things that aren't easy to talk about. Um, it's, I, I mean, it's funny. It's like audio. It's sort of like a lot of times, a lot of times, like I'll, we'll do it and, and I'll do it. I'll do it the protective way first and then we'll listen to it. And it's just sort of like, you can hear it, you know, you can tell i'll be able to tell and everybody else will be able to tell and they'll be like you have to that's really what you actually think you know and you have to like really mind the thing that you're afraid of mining. it's hard uh it's not i mean it's not hard it's like it's um scary at first um uh but then if you do it right like you're you know it's you're rewarded for it because you. that's the thing is that when you that's the scary thing about like sharing something in it's just you and it feels like it's this deep dark secret and then when you share it, you learn that other people have it too, you know, and like and then it's like, oh, and then it feels like, oh good, you know, like now I don't feel it feels like um a relief, you know, to have it out there and to like know that that's I was the other people were feeling that way too. So um um but mostly it's just like because that's that's what makes it good. That's the only thing you have to do, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And if you don't you can hear it and it won't be as good so you just have to try go go to that place
3: um, yeah. it just seems like you must be pretty good at finding people who are willing to do that like I feel like that's kind of Jonathan Goldstein, Goldstein's whole right stick a little bit yeah. and like Reply All has moments of that and like,
1: yeah I think yeah. it's what the medium good at I think it's what we were trying I mean I think I spent a lot of my career trying to do that too is trying to like get people to like really sort of like everybody when they talk to you they're trying to um hide from something in some way or a little bit you know everybody's trying to like position themselves in a certain way or like not a deflect or not take a full accounting of like what's happening to them or you know or just not be or not admit the thing that they're feeling you know like everybody does that And so like as a producer of this American life like even you, you start to hear it like you can hear it and 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 you know that it's not as good as if they actually did it, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and like that moment when somebody actually sort of like, comes clean with themselves is a really powerful moment on tape um and so it also sort of felt like babe, like i've been putting people through that in a very very gentle way but mm-hmm. you know like not like you know how dare you say you know just mm-hmm. more like yeah but why are you feeling that way you know but like is that really the only thing you know just sort of like in this very sort of like persistent but like gentle way um trying to get people to sort of like You know, sort of face and admit to what they're actually feeling or thinking, um, and um, and so sort of then it was only made sense that I would do that to myself too, right? It doesn't, but it was like it was it was it was hard, and that was one of the hardest things about doing startup is that like so much of it was um, so much of the drama of that series and so much of the entertainment value derived from like my own sort of like anxiety and stress. And like, and so like, so it was exhilarating at first because it was just, it's so stressful, like doing the thing that I was doing and taking that big risk and stuff. But like, but it, I can tell myself, well, at least it'll be good for the podcast, you know, like, oh, no, I got rejected again, but like, and I'm really <laughs> bummed out, but like, I know that as we're having this conversation with my wife or whatever, and I'm just feeling completely defeated, I know that it's also going to be good. Like, I know, I knew I, I could think about it two ways, like it was good tape. Um, but as it went on, it was just like, oh my god! <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. how long? Like, the, if me feeling like a constant pit in my stomach is the engine of this entire of the entire plot of this entire series. Like I don't know how much longer I can take it. You know.
3: So yeah. I wonder um, when you're fostering those moments of like confession and vulnerability. Are you thinking of that as like part of the journalistic process? Or are you thinking of it as storytelling and or narrative mm-hmm. or some combination of all of those? um
1: i don't know i i don't uh i don't i don't separate it too much because Mm i it's the same rules no matter what i'm doing like i you know it's like i'm telling the truth and i'm not gonna not tell the truth and like and i'm even i'm not even gonna try to like i'm trying to tell the most accurate thing that i'm seeing you know um but I'm also trying to put it in a narrative, and so like I'm trying to. Ch- and I think the problem with narrative and journalism is that like I think sometimes there's like is like if your narrative is a little bit lazy, like I think sometimes there's like there's lazy narratives in journalism, and I think some of them, the one of the laziest narratives I think is the villain victim narrative, which is that there's a villain and there's a victim, and I'm going to tell the story about the bad villain and the, and the innocent victim, um, and. Obviously, that narrative does exist. I think that really happens, but I think it's super easy, uh, and I think people apply it in places where it doesn't. The actual every time I've gone into a story thinking like it's that narrative, the more I look into it, the more I realize it's like, oh no, it's not that narrative at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to work and figure out like, well, what narrative is it then? Mm-hmm. And that requires thought and it's hard. Um, so, um, so. But if it's, like, more about, like, if it's more personal, if it's about me, um, I mean, I think it's the same rules, it's just easier to fact check. (laughs) It's just me. Is that
2: how I felt? Yes, that's how I felt. Do you think there are parts, because you've sort of, like, shared so much of your own personal, like, story and been so vulnerable, are there elements um, when you, like, meet people that they expect you to sort of, like, contain or, like, other parts of yourself that you don't? that doesn't, like, fit into that startup narrative. Like, there's, um, I'm going to bring this up because it's my favorite, like, sure. pod, podcast comedy thing. Um, but there's, like, a Mike from sketch with Terry Gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, in which, like, he sort of, like, is, like, being interviewed by her, but then, like, they keep going and she, like, he, yeah. like, follows her around and she, he, she like, can't break out of her, like, Terry Gross uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> um, model. Do you think there are, like, parts of you that, like, people don't understand, but they think they understand because they haven't heard it in your work?
1: I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think I don't know what people think they understand about me. So like, I think that's a a little bit hard for me to, I I don't generally assume that people think they know me better than they do. I think, I I do think though that like, um, I think people do feel like an intimacy with me. I think um, that they might not feel with like somebody who's on TV or somebody who's writing Or something like that. Um but I think and I and but I don't know if that's not a not true. You know, like if you were a really old friend of mine um who right, I like knew since college, but you didn't listen to startup. And then somebody who did listen to startup who'd never met me before, like the person who listened to startup for that time in my life, they knew me better than my friend who didn't. You know, like those were real feelings. I was that was really what was happening they were pretty in touch with what was going on in my life at that time. So like, I don't think it's like, they did, they do sort of know me in that, in the way they think they do. Um, you know, cause it's like, that was, that was really, that was, that was really happening. <laughs> you know, it was all real. So, so I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, I, I it's, it's a little weird because I like, can, you can feel it. It's not that weird I, in the, in the, like, <laughs> I'm barely, I barely register on the fame scale. Like I've been, I have been recognized, like whatever, over the course of my life, twenty times, thirty times. You know, so like I'm not like there's not like you know it's not like I'm being it doesn't happen all the time. I can go out fine. Nobody knows who I am. So, um, but uh, but uh, it is it is a slightly odd scenario where people recognize me. I can tell they think they know me better than, than they do, but I don't also don't feel like that's necessarily.
3: Yeah, Sarah and I were just talking about like how surreal it is to hear your voice, yeah. just because we, you know, hear your voice all the time and yeah. have since we we're I know. children. So it's like that. <laughs> 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 it's like that thing of like, um, I don't know, like since audio is so intimate. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you'd run into this problem. Yeah,
2: but yeah. It's, it, it sounds like it's not like a super bad problem. Like my mom no. is; she's like a huge like public radio fan and she's always like oh like I think that'd be like the best kind of famous to be because then people like wouldn't necessarily like approach you on the street as much but like you still sort of get to like tell stories and like be like a meaningful person in people's lives yeah yeah yeah
1: no it's nice I think it is it's better like um, yeah um, my my wife worked for uh, Rachel Maddow and like I think it's like it's different Mm -hmm. for her like she's just like people just like see her and they, they know her and it's like very much like a big part of her life and like for me it's more fun it's more like i'll be like talking on the phone and then all of a sudden somebody will be like hey, this is here's, this is the this is the exact level of my of my of, of the the fame of whatever whatever level of famous i am it's this i went to i was in the apple store and I went to, like, I had to upgrade my phone or something or get something taken care of. And I went up to the one of the guys at the Apple store. And I was like, hey, I'm like look, looking to do this thing. And he was like, oh my God. I was like, what? He was like, are you? And was like, yes. And then there's like 20 other Apple store employees. And it's like, guys, guys, come over here. Come over here. And they all gather around. I was like, it's Alex Bloomberg. And all the other 20 people were like, what? <laughs> who? Like, nobody else knew who I was. So it's like one out of, one out of 20 Apple Store employees knows who I am. That's, that's, that's basically what I am. That's it. pretty good. Yeah. That's good pretty, it's fine. <laughs> Way more famous than I ever thought I'd be when I was at OpenSource. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: true. I think something that's also really interesting about listening to Startup was that people who knew you as a reporter got to see you sort of transition into the role of being a business owner also. Um, and I think a lot of people who go through that talk about how it ends up making them lose doing the thing that they wanted to do in the first place from going in a position where you're – you know, actually on the ground doing things to being in a management position. But Mm -hmm. I feel like you've really been able to continue producing audio and making all of these podcasts, whether you're appearing on different people's podcasts or now you have without fail and Gimlet Academy. Mm -hmm. Um, So how have you been able to balance those two roles and to continue producing um, stories even as you're also doing the business side as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, part of it was like we, um, I think my co-founder Matt was incredibly important in that. Like that was always sort of the way we were thinking about it. It's like podcasts are our product. And I was one of the main people who made that product. And so like, I I always had to keep, keep doing that. And that was always going to be the thing that was going to be like, that's where I came from. And so that was always going to be part of, part of what I was doing. Um, I did for a while feel like I needed to sort of like get more into the running and the management of things. Um, But I realized that like, it's all about like, where are you adding the most value? And and as I started, I think we can, there are people who are actually better um, managers, better operational people, better like leaders, you know, in a certain kind of like um, organizational leadership kind of way. Um, I think I, and I think what I, and so I started to like, try to figure out like what exactly is my role? Where am I adding the most value? And I'm probably adding the most value if I'm like working deeply in the making of the thing. And what I realized is like, I'm adding value in two ways there. Like one, it's going to hopefully be better than it would otherwise sort of like, you know, like I'm one of the better people at like making stuff. So I should do that. But also like, that's the way that we will, Propagate the thing that happened for me, right? Like, I got to, like, Ira was like at this market life, was just right there all the time, and you're just making it with him. And it's incredibly, 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 valuable. that's how you learn. And so, and so, if I can do that, then, then I can, then that, that is the way we will make a whole bunch of sort of people with that level of, of talent. And so, um, and that's been sort of like once I sort of figure that out like oh that's what we're gonna do like i'm just gonna like i'm gonna try to like i'm gonna be working and stuff and but the way i'm going to justify it is i'm going to just like always have a couple people with me by my side as we're making it i'm always going to be trying to target like certain people who are sort of at a certain level to try to get them to the next level and like i'm going to be super intentional about like making edits with me and making working on projects with me making that a very very intentional skills transfer um and that's been like we sort of like sort of hit on that a couple of years ago. It was like, oh, that's that's what I should be doing. And like that. And since we've been doing that, that has been like, it's been good. It's been cool to see that actually starting to work.
3: How do you manage? Well, I don't know. How do you manage your time with that? That's such a well, painstaking. I mean, no, I know. So I
1: I'm that. I'm like you know, well over half my time is spent really? making stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I'm in the like I'll, I'll be in edits. I'm in like if you look at my calendar, it's like i mean, in this edit on this this show. I'm like interviewing this person for this on this thing. I'm also launching a show, um, that's coming out in the in, in the summer, um, that I'll be that I'll be hosting. Um, but um, there'll be more
3: about that. <laughs> Exciting news! good. <Secret>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you do, I don't know if this is a good interview question. This is yeah. just a question that I want to know the yeah, answer yeah. to. So hopefully that transfers. But <laughs> when you sit and do edits with people, is that like they have a rough draft and then you're mm-hmm. you're listening to the rough draft and like writing like what is that yeah like?
1: so um the way it usually works it's sort of like a table read mm-hmm. so like people will um like we just launched this the the, the, the thing i was most there deepest in most recently was this like we have this show called conviction which is like sort of like deep dives into um stories of like um wrongdoing where it's unclear So we did the first episode about this. The first season was about this crazy private eye in the Bronx, and like this kid who was like thrown in jail a bunch of times by the Bronx police, and sort of like was you know who was profiled. And but the but the investigator was like sort of like interesting and was like sort of like doing all these sort of like slightly sketchy things himself. It was just an interesting you know. And so we did this um, season about that, and then this, and so then we're coming out with the second season. We just came out with it. And it's a completely different thing. It's all about like this time in the 80s and 90s. It's called American Panic. It's really I love it. I think it's really, really it's an amazing, I think it's an amazing series. So, but on that, we've been editing that for a long time. So um, the reporters they would come in, they would have the script in front of them. We have the tape on the computer. Some of the producers like has the tape cut and they'll read the script, and then they'll fire the tape, and they'll read the script and fire mm-hmm. the tape. And so we just do it sort of like as a live table. Um, and then I'll be, and usually what I'm doing is I'm sitting there. I'm just like typing as fast as I can. I'm just typing. And then every time I have a note, I put caps lock and make the note in caps lock. And so I have like a a page of vaguely unintelligible stuff on my computer. But then every time there's a caps lock, I can be like, Oh, right. It was around the time that they said something like this. And then we can go back and we remember Mm -hmm. what it was. And so then we'll go through and I'll, and the notes can be like, cut the sentence to don't know what's going on here to yuck <laughs> to yeah you know anything you know just sort of like just trying to remind myself like how i was feeling at this point in the story mm-hmm. um and then we'll go and address it and a lot of times and it's always the same issues which is like where were you bored where were you confused and where did you not care what was happening and so and it's always the first episode that's always the hardest because you have to that's the one where you have to make people care that's always that's the hardest thing to do is to make anybody care about anything so um yeah so you have to spend a lot of
0: Um, another question I had on on the topic of making actual podcasts, um, so we're big Reply All fans, mm-hmm. and I was curious how you find the tweets that you bring for Yes, Yes, No, and, and how you decide which ones <laughs> are going to be good stories, because yeah. I think if you told someone that you spent a show for 40 minutes explaining a tweet, they would be, like, shocked, and, and it sounds really boring, but then you mm-hmm. listen to Yes, Yes, No, and it's fascinating every time,
3: so I was curious how that process works. Um.
1: I, uh, th- so the process, the, the process has evolved. It started with like, just me just, it was just like, I was like, I came into them one day and I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. Like, can you tell me? And then, and then they, it, and it was really fun. And they explained it to me <laughs> on tape and it just became that thing. And it that one had to do with like weird Twitter and like this guy drill on weird. Anyway, it's just like back in the early days of like weird Twitter. And, um, and so then, and it became this thing. It was really fun and people liked it. And so we did, we started doing that. And, um, and then at a certain point, um. but then at a certain point, they start to like, it's like the first time you do it, it's like, oh, and it's this video game mashed up with this, you know, sort of like thing in pop culture. And then, but that's, All they are now, you know, it's just sort of like, it's like, I saw this character in this video game and I put it with this like public appearance of this person or whatever. And they're just like, it's like 17 things that they're all happening, And so it's the same story now over and over again, a lot of them. So, so it's gotten a little bit more challenging. Tweets and memes have gotten more and more complicated and Mm -hmm. multiple levels of narrative, but like they're the same story now a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like gotten really hard to like figure out ones that actually have like a pretty epic storyline to them. Um, so what I do is I'll find a bunch of my own and then I'll send out to my own sort of like on Twitter I'll put out a call like hey do you guys have you seen anything and then we'll get a, a whole flood of people like wanting us to do assistance about this or that and then um, but then it's always one that but then and then the team will go through and start to figure out like what's the story and it's only the ones that have like a really juicy story behind them that we'll end up doing so we sort of breathe and then occasionally I'll come across a sports one that
3: <laughs> in which case, no, that really funny. when you sit down in the studio with them do you actually not know at that point you don't know what's going on oh
1: no i don't know mm-hmm. no no no
3: but they've already it's not they've, the first time that they've seen the two
1: no games. but 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 you have to keep it like you can't know and so and, and it, reply also they take this to an extreme but they will they will hide things from the the host because like so like oh, okay. if alex is writing a story he'll yeah. them keep, keep it completely secret and like the minute they talk about it in the office, they'll send PJ out so they doesn't hear anything, and PJ's the same way because you because otherwise you can't you can only reveal it once, and you can only get the actual reaction you need once, and then other after that it's you're gonna sort of maybe it's gonna sound fake. So like no, I don't know anything, and they won't let me know, and they don't tell me until I'm on tape. Yeah, that's oh. yeah. cool.
3: Yeah. Is there um. a a genre a type of story um that you think is becoming more popular than the podcasting world like i mean like it's so interesting that we can have these like stories about technology that are sort of like meta and Mm self-reflective and like talking about itself Uh um where do you see that going
1: um well so i'm now in fully in the world of like uh all of podcasting, and I and I was in the world what I, what felt like all of podcasting was sort of like in the world of like *Entertainment* and, and *This is like American Life*. But now I've stepped into the world of all of podcasting. Mm-hmm. And I realized oh, that was just like one corner of that world. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big corner, and it's a very influential corner, but it's just like one corner. And there's huge other swaths of this of this territory. And so, like the biggest shows in podcasting are dwarfing, you know, what we do. You know, like they're sports shows or. Joe Rogan is like the biggest I think, podcast in the the world Um, and uh, my favorite murder and like there's like tons and tons of true crime. And so that's a gigantic and huge gigantic thing. So, and I think that's been the sort of the narrative audio storytelling. I think we're continuing to like, sort of like do tell new stories about new types of things. But like, that's actually been one of the things that's sort of like, it's just growing. And I think it's like, I think it's evolving a little bit, but there's just so much like, oh, we can tell a story about that, and we can tell a story about that, and we can do the, the thing we do about this subject, you know? And so I think that's more what we're doing. It's like not as much evolving of the form, although that still is happening a little bit. But like the way I think about it, when people when I think about like, do I want to evolve the form or do I just want to tell more of these stories and the way we do? And I, I just want to tell more of the stories because there's just so much to talk about. Um so but I think we're also gonna be like we're also evolving the form. Like, I mean, that's also thing that's happening but still it's like i think compared to the larger sort of all these other trends that are happening i think that's there's just so much going on you know it's crazy it's crazy and like true crime people love true crime people love it love 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 it's like by far the single most popular genre on in podcasting um and it dwarfs everything else. And the shows can be, like, you have to work so hard to make people care about internet culture or business or anything. And you don't have to work at all to make people care about the They're just like, did somebody get murdered? I'm in. You know, and, like, and it's just people just, like, the genre itself has such stakes built into it. And you're just like, well, who killed the person? Who killed them? And you're just in. And so the, you can, so it makes sense. Like, you don't, you know, it doesn't take as much, like, trickery (laughs) slash craft however you want to call it to like to keep people engaged just because like there's just so many sticks built in
3: really crazy stuff how popular true crime is in my
2: opinion it's funny there's even um i think probably excos were were around but um this last semester there was an exco on my favorite murder my favorite murder co so yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. And, and that's, a, I mean, that, that show is just like, it's incredible what they've managed what they've accomplished with that show. It's just, are you, are you
3: do you like it? Like, we were well, just talking so, about who we don't
0: like it. So I I'm writing my senior thesis on the ethics of true crime reporting um, and talking about serial <clears throat> as sort of like mm-hmm. the catalyst for all the true crime that came after it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I would be curious, this is maybe a little bit more personal, but um, like what your take is on true crime podcasting, because I think that there is a lot of it that's, really well researched and that has really good intentions. And then there's some of it that is maybe a little bit more sensationalized or, you know, drawing us into things that um, are maybe not, not what people should be interested or, or, you know, not their business to be digging around and things. Um, but like some of the true crime that Gimlet does really steers away from that. Like the clearing is,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know, an example of true crime that does something different from what everything else is doing. So I'm I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the ethics of, of true crime reporting since it is so big in podcasting right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think, um, I think that there's like, um, there are traditions and there's no laws around journalistic. I mean, there are laws, but like most of the things, most of the operating principles that journalists operate by are, are sort of institutional and, laid out by the organizations that have been developed over many, 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 many years. of like This is what, this is how we, this is what we owe our audiences, this is what we owe our sources, this is what we owe the truth, et cetera. And so, um, and I think what has happened in podcasting is like probably what happened at the beginning of newspapers, which is just sort of like, there's just like, holy shit, everybody, I have a microphone, I'm going to tell my story, you know, and like people are just like jumping into it and they haven't necessarily come up like through an organization that has like sort of said like, hey, here's how you do it right, here's how you do it right. I think, I think people are learning, you know, I think after, at a certain, like, I was, every young journalist is a little bit blase about it. And then, and then you get something wrong and then the person like, like that was wrong and that was my life. Mm -hmm. And then you feel awful and then you're like, oh, right. And then it really makes you, you really, really, really care about it, you know? And like, um, and I think that's starting to happen for a lot of these places you know i think they will like they're real people that they're talking about and they're telling their stories and i think they're gonna have to start like reckoning with it and i feel like i've heard i don't listen that much to true, i never listen to true crime i'm not like a gigantic true crime fan um so so i've always been like somewhat mystified by the like the, just like but again people are confusing to me and so i, I don't understand why they like listening to it as much as they do but uh but from what i've like anecdotally i Feel like there's starting to be like an evolution in in that space as like people who just have like i think you know i read about like the the my favorite murder hosts and i think they came to it they have a real they have a thing that they're like trying to express and i think they have a philosophy behind what they're doing and it has to do with like trying to sort of feeling of safety and trying to learn and like mm-hmm. also just like, there's like, I think there's a reason that it resonates so much. And I think they have articulated that reason. I think they think about it in a really smart, interesting way. Um, but I don't think they'd ever been publicly telling these kinds of stories in front of large groups of people before. And so like, I think it's obvious, like, a well, little, I have to learn. Oh yeah. Right. I, we have to remember that. And so, and I think a lot of the people that are coming into the space are, 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 are sort of reckoning with that like everybody who does they start telling stories about real people in public yeah. it's just you, you all it's like a it's a, it's it's a wake-up you know and i had it and everybody has it
3: that's really hopeful kind of yeah like the, the i think
1: thought. so i think i think it's like i mean i think there's always going to be people who don't care that much or don't care as much as they should um and are willing to sort of like run roughshod over people's you know sort of like feelings or whatever for some you know um some made up or principle or maybe a real principle, I do But, but I, I, I think a lot of it is just like not, not having done it before, you know, and just sort of this thing being very new and people getting used to it. Um, um, and I don't think, I think a lot of people don't think of themselves as journalists, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I think they're trying to, they think of themselves as like, well, I'm entertainment or I'm like, you know, yeah. a lot of these, a lot of the people in the true crime are coming like from the entertainment world. Like, you know, and so like, I think, they have to grapple with that. Um, and I think there are, there should be like, and some of the shows that I've listened to, like there's a show that my sister-in-law loves called small town murder. And like, they're like, at the beginning of the episode, they're like, Hey everybody, we're, we're a comedy podcast. We try to get it right. But like, just, you know, like we're comedy. We're trying to get it. We're going to track jokes. And if you don't want to hear us cracking jokes about people who are murdered, you know, like don't listen to this podcast. Right. Like, that's what we're going to do. Um, so, like, and it's just, like, and I think that's also partly what it is. It's just sort of, like, letting people know, like, here's what we're doing.
2: You, you said you, you don't necessarily listen to a lot of true crime, but you did talk about, like, what you were reading as a, as a college student. What, um, since you have, like, experience with different mediums, do you have, like, preferences, or what do you read or listen to nowadays, if you have time? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so I listen. I don't, I, it's really hard for me to listen to anything other than, um, other than, Rough cuts. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> most of to give my rough cuts. Um so uh and then Gimlet stories and like, you know, I'm just I want to try to listen to as much of what we're making as possible and we're making more and more and more. So it's like it takes up more of my time. Um I listened to the um I listened to the Jolly Parton mm-hmm. series, which I loved.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
1: and uh I have been getting into reading novels. Um uh i i've just been reading a lot of novels lately or more than i used to like part of, part of that's about my kids um my kids were little and just like just like destroys every free moment you have so like i didn't have any time to read anything and then there was a now they're seven and nine and was like, there was like a time like a year and a half ago where i was like wait a minute anything. nobody's gonna kill themselves <laughs> and lost them. like my daughter was like sitting and reading and my son was playing and I was like, holy crap, I could just read a book. So I started reading. It. So I went and bought some books, and I've read books now. So it's been great. So I read, um, I mean, I just read a bunch of stuff. I mean, not all, not as much as I read when I was a student. I don't have that much time. But but I have, uh, you know, I read, like, read the Underground Railroad. I read a couple of Jennifer Egan novels. I love Jennifer Egan. Yeah. She's like, she's one of my favorite writers at Manhattan Beach. And I read the Visit from the Goon Squad, which I hadn't read. And I read.
3: Um, yeah, I love, I love
1: that book. Know, <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: other English majors, so
1: yeah. I'm not an yeah. English major, uh,
2: yeah. I just read a bunch of stuff. It's been really nice. Do you, when, when you do listen to podcasts, do you listen at normal speed or do you listen at? I, at this has been
3: a controversy, <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs>
1: I am like, I still, a, I saw that I retweeted that he listens at, yeah, and, I'm like,
0: and then what? PJ responded, yes. really upset, no. yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, um. I listen um I usually just listen at regular speed and then I will occasionally if I wanna speed it up I'll listen at a one and a quarter.
3: Oh. Um
1: some podcasts I feel like that's okay. That's like that's what you're that's what we're trying to do. I think some of our podcasts that's what we're trying to do too. Like like we have a we have a daily show called The Journal, which um <laughs>
3: Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I love
1: that I think it's so good I think it's they're doing such a great job and, and that's sort of like one of my go-tos now because like, I'm i like I just listen to a couple on my plane and I'll occasionally if I have to get to work I'll like I'll, I'll crank it up to 1, 1.25 just to sort of like just so I can finish so I don't have to leave but yeah but I feel like that's it's like that's what you're there for is like the, the, the information and the smart way it's presented and like you know and they'll, they'll throw in stories and stuff but it's like it's like they're just it, giving you the news so I feel like you can speed that
3: up a little. I'm so glad you asked that question. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you, you're into the a... journal. Yeah, yeah. Oh. well, I'm I'm an econ major. Uh-huh. Um, and okay. so yeah. <laughs> and so, but I think like a lot of the new stuff that I listen to, like I started doing it faster, uh-huh. uh, and then it was it was like a, a hard the to get into. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, I think it's totally fine though. I think it's just the use case. Like I think I, I again, I think it's like, um. We have this thing where like nobody says, do you, do you watch video, right? Like people say, do you watch this TV show? Or did you see that, mm. that viral, you know, whatever, like, you know, do you see this thing on TikTok or whatever it is, right? Like nobody says like, do you see Game of Thrones? Nobody says, did you watch, you think, pictures of sound attached to it, right? Yeah. And then people still say, do you listen to podcasts? Yeah. And, like, there's like a hundred million different kinds of podcasts. And so, um, and they are consumed in all different ways. And like, you don't watch the Kardashians the same way you watch Game of Thrones or like um, you know sort of like um, oh my god this the new one Watchmen right like it's they're, they're completely different and like you have to pay you have to pay deep attention to one and hopefully that deep attention will be rewarded and you don't to the other and you have it on the background and that's what you do and I think and I think that's and I think podcasts are the same way like I think we we actually have there's a classification there's like passive listening and active listening mm-hmm. and the active listening are like this is the event and like but then you're making a, basically a promise with your audience you're like if you invest in this, you will be rewarded. So you just have you have to bring it if you're making that kind of podcast, and that and you have immediately set the bar much higher. Um, and so if you're telling people like no, you're you're not allowed to listen on a faster speed, then that then it's on you to like bring that hmm. to make that worth their time. Um, and a lot of people do. Like I feel like you know the folks at this American Life do, and like a lot of a lot of people do. But but I don't. It's okay. Like. We're not the boss. You, every, the listener is the boss.
2: Yeah, and definitely yeah. like there's different podcasts that I know. Like, well, this is like what I what's me. I want to listen to this at, or like this is a more like newsy, just like just the facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out there, and then I can listen to that. Yeah, but but it's certainly like this American Life or like more narrative stuffs. Like even where um like the 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 tweet was talking about like how do you like cut stuff if you, like, want to time the spaces, you know? Yeah. Like, I think but if you're, like, th- figuring that into it, what you're producing, then it's, like, important to, like, listen to it at that, that speed that's, yeah. like, been thought about it.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if people put the effort, like, I try to, like, listen. But even so, like, I think I think also I, I do think you you train your brain and, like, if you, like, my uh, old colleague Adam Davidson would just listen to everything, like, speed and a half or double speed or something it sounded like it sounded like you know chipmunks to me, like, <laughs> like but i think at a certain point you just like you just hear it as normal because you, your brain does adapt so
3: yeah
0: well speaking of diversifying types of podcasts you mentioned in your talk that gimlet's expanding and obviously there's new podcasts all the time um so for Gimlet, what do you see as the next steps? And then more broadly in the podcasting industry, as mm-hmm. things are opening up and starting to change, are there any trends you think we'll, we'll start seeing in the next couple of years in podcasting?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we'll start seeing uh, different forms of podcasting, like what kinds of, like what's, you know, um, uh, I think it'll continue to, I think um, we're going to see podcasting taking on lots of subjects where it hasn't been, yet you know like I think right now it's still sort of concentrated in sort of the news and information true crime sports you know there's not really there's not really like a car podcast you know like there's (laughs) not really like you know like all these other there aren't really like a lot of the things that exist in other forms of media there aren't that many podcasts there's not like they're really sort of like whiz bang culture you know sort of like you know pop, pop culture podcast you know there's there are but there's, like, you know, I think there can be more in those. I, I would imagine there's going to be... And I'm I'm actually bad at, like, figuring out, like, what where the next subject area is going to be. Um, but... And I think we're also going to have, like, lots more forms. Like, I think there's going to be everything from, like, really short form. I think there's going to be a new ways of delivery. Like, on Spotify, like, they have this thing with you know, your daily drive, which is, like, a sort of, like, a... It's a mix, and, like... And I think... Um, And I think there's going to be more room for like short form content. Like the podcast is going to be less and less like a 20 to two hour long thing that has a beginning and an end and you have the credits and stuff. And I think there's going to be different kinds of different kinds of audio content. Um, I think there's going to be a less and less distinction between audio fiction, audio books and and podcasts. Like I think that's going to sort of all start to sort of like, it's all going to come together a little bit. Um, Yeah. I think there's, I think it's, it's going to be, um, and I think it's just gonna—it's gonna keep growing. Like I think it, I think we're seeing massive growth already, and it's just gonna keep happening. I think it's a big. I think I think it has been like this dormant thing for a long time. It was the last medium to which demand
3: came, yeah. and
1: I'd like just got here, and like the same thing that we're seeing with like prestige television and, and like the way that that has changed television. I think it's gonna change audio. I think at the very beginning.
2: Well, with that, um, we've run out of time, but thanks so much, Alex. Yeah. It was a pleasure.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you so much. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Got it.